Hello everyone. I want to start out Odyssey House Journals today giving you a warning. You are welcome to tune out or turn everything off if you don't want to hear or hear an honest discussion about gender dysphoria. Uh, it seems to be controversial, especially in America these days. And if you, if you, if you don't want to know about it, and you don't want to hear about it, bye-bye. <laughs> but I'm Randall Carlisle, and uh, my guest is Anna Bigney. And the reason we're discussing this is because this is a podcast about uh, addiction and recovery and, and mental health issues. And honestly, gender dysphoria has a direct impact on both addiction, recovery, and mental health issues. So welcome, Anna. Was, was that okay what I said? Oh, half the people may have tuned out already. I, I don't know. That is perfectly fine. Okay. Yeah. And you are a transgender woman, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. For people who don't understand that, what is a transgender woman? So basically, it's there is an incongruency between the way that, you know, we've had, um, you know, our, our physical expression, right? Your, <clears throat> right, me being born essentially as a male, um, right. at least physically. And there being an incongruency between that and the way that you've developed mentally, the way that, you know, you identify yourself. Um, it's almost hard to put into words sometimes because you get sort of down the rabbit hole of what makes gender, what different components, what's essential to one's gender. But basically, at the end of the day, it's that incongruency to who and what you are internally and identify yourself as versus, you know, that physical manifestation, that physical phenotype that you've got. So, you, so you're born with a male body, but internally you don't feel like you're a male. Is that correct? Yeah. Right, okay. So, and, and this always, because I've always argued with people when they talk about homosexuals and stuff like that, I always say, if, if they're negative about it, I say, when did you discover that you like women? And they all say, I don't know, I just did, right? And, that's a, and so when did you discover that you weren't thinking like other males? Uh, it, it's. <sighs> Did that happen naturally? Just like okay, I'm heterosexual. <laughs> For some reason, in say sixth or seventh grade, I started liking to look at women, and I started to be sexually attracted to them. So it's. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it's not necessarily, at least for me, as clear cut as, you know, who and what you're attracted to because, like, if you're attracted to a male, right, then you have that definite target of your attraction, right? You see a male, you go, I'm attracted to right, that, right? right. Whereas, um, I think for me at least, it more developed as a sense of confusion, disconnect um, from myself. However, like that's all I've ever known. There's no external way to go. Okay, these are male feelings that I'm feeling, right? Okay. Or these are definite female feelings. It's going. There's something off here. If I take the way that I'm feeling and kind of um, compare that to the way that you know perhaps I think other people are feeling from an external perspective, there is some kind of mismatch here. 
um, developing alongside of that, you know, noticed that honestly, I, I identified much, much, much more with, you know, the females in my life, right. sisters. Um, At what age did this happen? Do you remember? When, when you began to question why maybe you were thinking differently than other guys your age? I think probably the first memory I have was it must have been about five or six and um, I had older brothers and you know of course they were right developing going through puberty sure. and, and seeing that and kind of being a bit horrified by it going so that's going to happen to me <laughs> I, I'm not comfortable with that Okay. I don't like that. Instead of, you know, how maybe, you know, adolescent boys are bragging about getting chest hair or, you know, sure. getting their five o'clock or whatever right. it might be right. going. That seems very, very off-putting. Like, I, I don't like that. And also, you know, alongside of that thinking, you know, wouldn't it be nicer if I was just a girl? Like... You know, thing to myself, why didn't that happen? Um, well, that must have been that must have been very confusing because nobody, you can't really share that with anybody at that age. No, no, and and in particular, um, <clears throat> I want to preface this by you know saying this is just my experience. And and I do want I know what you're going to oh. get into, and I do want to hear this because <laughs> I think it's important you tell your story of yeah. of. You know, serving the mission, the family you grew up in, and the, and the constraints in the beliefs in the family. Yeah. Um, so I grew up, it was, I grew up very, very, very LDS. Um, to this day, I still resonate very much with LDS people, right? I, I'm not LDS myself. However, sort of in the back of my mind, I call myself a uh, secular Mormon because they're, <laughs> You know, they're my people. They're who I grew up with. They very much made a part of who I am, and I love them to death. Sure. However, in certain, you know, in certain interpretations of Mormonism, there can be very, very um, strict, rigid interpretations, especially, you know, when I was growing up, dealing with homosexuality um, and that sort of thing. So as I would start feeling these things... My interpretation of them was that um, essentially was temptations, right? As far as I understood, um, you know, the way that uh, I guess um, my religion and, and reality in a whole function was you had, you know, you would be tempted by um, the adversary, Satan. Satan. Um, the devil. The devil. The devil. <laughs> And, you know, being told that, you know, and, and for those of you who are not familiar with LDS, this is going to be a, maybe a dive down a rabbit hole. But there was, you know, this idea that in the premortal existence, right, you are surrounded with, you know, your brothers and sisters, everyone else that is here. Yet at the same time, you know, you have, right, the adversary who was there before they fell along with, you know, other of your brothers and sisters who also fell along with him. 
you know, making up, I guess, the population of hell, right? So I was told that these individuals um, know you better than anyone else, and they're going to use your greatest weaknesses to try to tempt you. And so the only way that I could that I could square that was by saying, okay, this for whatever reason is a huge temptation for me to think this way. It's sort of a perversion. Um, this is my, I guess, right thorn in the flesh to use that phrase. And I just need to battle this, keep it secret, not feed it, not pay it attention. This is my challenge to overcome in life. And that's just what it is. Um, so, but, but, but at that point, you're thinking, were you thinking you were a bad person or just that the devil was toying with you? You know, I don't know. It, it, it would vacillate between feeling like I was a bad person intrinsically yeah. somehow and between this is just, you know, me being toyed with. Okay. Um, there was sort of that, I guess you could say, disconnect from self, that what I learned was gender dysphoria, which would also taint it with, you know, feelings of, well, I'm just somehow evil, right? Somehow mm-hmm. something went wrong. I'm just, I'm just evil. That's, that's all there is to it. And so. That must have been, I mean, that must have been horrible to deal with. I mean, because you've got all these conflicting emotions. <laughs> and then you, you served an LDS church mission, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Where? Philippines. And did you complete the mission? Yeah. Uh-huh. So you're going around with these questionable feelings, thinking you're you're either bad or you're to- or the devil's toying with you. Yet you're trying to spread Mormonism to other people. <laughs> Is that difficult? In a way, yes. In a way, no. Um, I was able to largely compartmentalize that. Um, you know, as as we're often taught. Um, the work that you do over those two years are the most important two years of your life and you regardless of what you have to do to um to give it your all to do a successful mission you do it and so um and you did yeah i did you did you baptize some people and succeed down there yeah really very in the in the way that it would be measured, sure. right, by somebody looking in very successful, um, yeah. So you come back from your mission, you're questioning yourself the whole time, and and so how did you get involved with drugs and alcohol? So this actually stems a bit from my mission. Um, my mission at that time was the second largest mission in the world. Mm. It was it was also in a location where. There was not much infrastructure. Um, we weren't allowed, of course, to have cell phones. Um, very, very cut off from each other. And you know, the mission president. Um, <clears throat> what was going on at the time for me, and I, I think for all the missionaries in, in general, was because of lack of oversight, and you have you know, 19-year-old mainly males out there. Right. There was a lot of there were a lot of things going on that were very, very, very questionable, um, very, I think, ethically problematic that I was seeing. And specifically? So specifically, you know, um, um, masturbation, sex, what? Well, <laughs> sex, 
a, a lot of sex, a lot of yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you're seeing this going on. Seeing this going on, and you know, um, trying to do what I can to you know um, report it. Trying to do what I can, you know, to uh, to take care of that and like be the good missionary. Because my my thought process is, you know, it in a way. My question about what I was going through led up to, you know, I will serve my mission. Um, perhaps this, you know, challenge is trying to keep me from, from fulfilling what I need to do. And so if I do like a valiant mission and fulfill it, this is going to help me overcome it. The next step is, right, getting married and, you know, maybe I will have, you know, overcome this. So I, I, uh, I didn't let myself give in to any of the shenanigans going on. Um, yet at the same time, because of you know myself seeing that, seeing what actually happened during it, um, and contrasting that with what I had thought a mission was going to be, I had a lot of questions come up. And I read and I studied and um, you know prayed constantly. And the more I did so, right, the more, the more I came to feel that I'm not quite sure about this. I'm not quite sure about this message. Um, and it, it created a, a vast amount of internal conflict. Um, and I remember during my mission, I said, you know what? What I'm going to do is, I said I'd do this. What I can do is I can serve people. Um, if I'm not entirely sure about the message, I can still serve people. And so I focused the rest of my mission primarily on doing that and said, when I come home, I'm going to figure this out because whatever is true is going to be true and will stand on its own. And Which led you to the point of coming out at some point. Eventually. At, um, at what age? So I actually came out gosh, it was five years ago, so I was 34. But your, but your addiction started at, what, 26? 26. And yeah. how did that happen? What? So that was, a, that was a long, slow process. It was, it was prefaced really by me looking into, you know, the origins of really looking into where I was, you know, spiritually. Um, when I came to, you know, what, what I felt were, um, you know, viable reasons to, you know, um, withdraw from my religion, it was, it was crushing in a way that I didn't anticipate. It, it had been everything to me, and um, there, was, there was a significant amount of pain there. It was, sure. you know, a, a, to say nothing else, an existential crisis where... I felt like there wasn't really much meaning anymore. Um, and I remember in particular one day going, okay, so, you know, alcohol is quote-unquote bad. Drugs are bad. All of these things are, right, bad. Which you've been taught for the 25 years until you got to that point. Right? Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I'm an adult. I'm, I'm just going to try this, just see what it's about. 
Okay. Right? Not understanding any of the health implications, not understanding addiction, just thinking, okay, so if this isn't necessarily morally, you know, restricted, let's try this out. And I remember from the first time that I tried it, it... The amount of right relief, temporary relief that came with it was astonishing. <laughs> um, that yeah. a lot of the pain that I had been feeling was gone. And it was as if a, a lot of people who get into addiction describe this, but it's like you've found your love and you've found your answer. Um, yeah, I felt the same way drinking. And, and so that progressed. And that's the first time actually that you felt relief from all the conflicting ideas within you for 25 years right so yeah yeah so yeah. wow bring on the booze it, and it really was um <laughs> it, it became <clears throat> i understood the concept of like you know the stereotypic alcoholic that you see on the streets and stumbling around all the time yeah. and i thought well i, I don't want to be that so i have to be smart about this so I had years and years of being, you know, a, a functional drunk, right? Where yeah. I was going, I can go to work, I can go to school, and then I'll just <laughs> save the alcohol for when, right? It's the weekend, my homework's done, yeah. but then it would just be binge drinking. Sure. Um, I can relate entirely <laughs> to you because I did that too. <laughs> and somehow you, you're, you, you progressed past alcohol to meth. How'd that happen? What happened? So that was, oh my goodness, that was <laughs> kind of a longer <laughs> But um, I had had years of doing this, of, you know, drinking, getting moments of sobriety. Um, but, you know, as I was drinking, right, you fall into a crowd of people um, who have similar, right, similar lifestyles sure. in in school right you're hanging around people who are also you know drinking on the weekend you're partying a lot and you know of course right weed makes its way in there so you're drinking you're smoking a lot of weed and then you know you're inhibited so eventually right um the crowd i was running with were heavily into hallucinogenics so like mushrooms are coming out now and acid and and just um, everything else, right? And so I had, you know, really integrated those into my, I guess, drug regimen and, and you know, could rationalize it by the fact that I could still function. Um, and it eventually progressed to the point where, <clears throat> um, you know, I slowly began to get some hopelessness. Proceeding, you know, eventually ending on meth, I had, I had reached a point where really my, my depression was getting to me and I, you know, I was feeling very, very suicidal. Um, I was feeling very suicidal. And I had somebody very close to me who had sort of their own, I guess you could say intervention and just said, what's going on with you? people don't do this you've been doing this for years what is going on that's that's causing you to do this and you know i i withheld with them but eventually i i remember just blurting out um 
I'm transgender. Like not even really <clears throat> planning on doing that, but it, it just kind of came out. And, you know, from the moment that I, that I uttered that, there was this realization that I, I needed to embrace it. It all happened very quickly, almost as if, right, you, you let the floodgates open. There's that sense of relief. And it was enough where, you know, I said, I need to pursue this. Like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing or else I'm going to end up in trouble. Um, so you, you told me earlier, I, I want to get to the good part of all oh. this, okay. You told me earlier you ended up shooting meth. Uh, you were drinking up to a half gallon of booze a day, okay? Uh, so things were, things were pretty bleak, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to bring up this issue because you are not... It, it's not uncommon for trans, for people suffering from gender dysphoria to go through all this. Yeah. But you did finally, you're sober now, mm -hmm. you found relief. How did, what, how did that happen? What, what, what did you do? So <clears throat> after that, once I, once I came out, like I just stopped drinking cold turkey, which probably wasn't smart. <laughs> um, no. But I stopped it all. And... You know, eventually with coming out right, there comes a component of coming out to family. Um, I want to preface this by saying I have a good relationship with my family today, and having somebody come out as transgender also requires right adjustment of the family. They're, you know, for a short time losing somebody. And the reaction of my family was particularly difficult. You know, I, I had kind of conceived in my mind that you know, in, in coming out to them and sobering up, they would get, you know, they would have me back, you know, in a sense, and not having me back in a way that they, they would not have to worry about me, you know, dying each night and thinking they'd have a more authentic version of myself. And, you know, it, it would be a very positive thing. Um, Was it? It, no, no. Um, it was either sort of ignored in a way, not even acknowledged by some and by others. It was, you know, vehemently fought against. Um, so, I, I mean, did you sit down like at a family gathering and say, hey, I want to share all this with you? Or, or how did you do that? Yeah, so I... <clears throat> my mother was actually in town. My... my um, parents live in Texas, and my family is kind of scattered all over. But my mother was in town, and, you know, I actually told her first. Um, and I, you know, told my little sister, who was living close by first. And then I uh, actually went to Texas for a family thing that was going on and, you know, told them. And how did, what did you say? I mean, I can't even imagine that. I mean, first, <laughs> for. You, you felt better because you were in, in, in sobriety at that point, but you still hadn't come clean on your inner feelings. Yeah. So what do you say? Mom, dad, <laughs> brothers, sisters, guess what? <laughs> you know. Well, you know, I, I knew that there wasn't going to be a, a very easy way to break it, right? <clears throat> I didn't want to, you know, beat around the bush. So to my best recollection, Essentially what I said was, look, I know you guys know that there's, there have been some things going on with me, um, and you've all been worried. 
And, you know, I know that, right, you guys have all noticed that there's, that, you know, I've been, I guess, different. You've sensed that and you've kind of expressed it in some ways. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of this drinking, a lot of, a lot of what I've been doing has been revolving around trying to really hide and cover up um, who and what I am. And, and the fact of the matter is I'm, I'm transgender. Um, and, you know, I'm going to be transitioning. Um, and like I said, it was largely met by either no reaction or, you know, a very negative reaction by some. Now you're talking about a very strict Mormon family uh, did they even know, did they understand at all what, what gender dysphoria is, or did you have to explain it? So they had, first of all, they had, you know, throughout the years, um, liberaled up quite a bit. Oh, um, okay. And the reason why I did feel comfortable is it's one of those situations where, you know, with people who are queer, they seem to be totally okay with it. Really? Um, Right? It's one of those things, as long as it's not somebody in your family, that's just <laughs> fine. Let let them be fabulous. Let yeah, them be yeah. themselves, right? And so <clears throat> um, they were somewhat familiar, familiar, but kind of like in a tangential way. And, and when it came to being transgender, like not really understanding, I'm thinking, is this some subset of being like gay? Is this the same thing as like drag queens? Um really not having very much of a grasp on it. Um, well, and you would admit it's easier to understand just straight gayness than it is, you know, transgender thinking. I, I, it is confusing. If it was confusing for you, it's confusing for everyone else, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to grasp. You know what? I'm going to stop you now, and we're going to... We're going to do two parts on this because we have a time constraint oh, here. So you're going to be part two again next week. So we want to thank you for watching. Those of you who stayed who care about understanding gender dysphoria. And next week we are going to do part two because Anna obviously is not drinking a half gallon of booze now or shooting up. Uh, meth and has sort of found her own way through life and we want to find out how she did that from the point that she came out to her family to where she is now. So thank you for watching and listening to another edition of Odyssey House Journals.